Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. Heyo, it is I, Jeff Dwoskin, your host of Classic Conversations and your guide through this bonus episode of Crossing the Streams. What is Crossing the Streams? It answers the universal question. I just binge watched something and now I gotta watch something else. What should that be? Well, you've come to the right place. Crossing the Streams is chock full of TV binge watching suggestions. We do a live show every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can join us there. Over a hundred episodes of Crossing the Streams, our live show is on our YouTube channel. You can devour whole episodes or you can wait for the bonus episodes and we'll feed a few suggestions right into your ears. And that's where you are right now. Today's segments come from live episode 14, 44, and 75, Too Funny to Fail, Swamp Thing, and Squid Game. We're going to kick things off with Swamp Thing. Take it away, me. Classic swamp thing. <laughs> I do love this movie. And so I let's put this in the same category as like when I uh, did my review of Sharknado. I think there's um there's these type of movies that I just I really, really enjoy. Though I do think that Swamp Thing, a little background real quick to set the tune. This was in 1982. So this is when movie studios really, other than like Superman didn't really know what was how to make cartoon movies. So there would be like a flood of them and most of them were completely unwatchable until Tim Burton's Batman came around and kind of set a new tone and, and all that kind of stuff. However, that all being said, Swamp Thing 1982. <laughs> Yeah, because people don't know that, you know, it was a comic book before it was a movie. 11 years after the comic book was created, Swamp Thing, the movie, jumped onto the big screen and came to life. So this was written and directed by a little unknown feller named Wes Craven. <laughs> so Wes Craven, this was his, say, fifth movie. He had already done Hills, Has, uh, Hills Have Eyes, uh, Last House on the Left, were some of the big ones that he had done. So this, this movie was a little different studio, if you will. He wrote and directed Swamp Thing. I was mentioning earlier, I think what was originally drew people to this movie, the actors that were involved with it, was that the script was damn good. It was a damn good script. However, ultimately, they only gave him $2.5 million budget to make this movie. So $2.5 million. Jeez. I don't even think one of the Spider-Man costumes in No Way Home probably cost <laughs> $2.5 million. <laughs> you know what I mean? Swamp Thing was sort of... Uh, Wes Craven kind of whittled it down and he was sort of a guy in a rubber suit, the Swamp Thing. And But I think ultimately what he pulled off, and I rewatched it recently, and I found it just as enjoyable as ha my 1980 memory uh, had for me. I think it's a fun movie. It's a fun, quirky kind of movie. It's campy. And I, I think it, it worked. It, the story is you have Alec Holland and he's uh, in the swamp and he's doing these kind of experiments. And then the bad guy comes, right? Uh, Arcane, who's played by Louis Jordan. And of course, there's some uh, 
He wants to steal the formula. <laughs> and all the bad guys are like these 80, 80s, like campy, oh. right? And so, which I think if they just had not done that, it's all in a swamp. It's all filmed in a swamp. <laughs> Must have been miserable, but it's swamp thing. The guy, Ray Wise, who plays Alec Holland, the brilliant scientist, you know, there's a huge explosion and his uh, formula that he was working on covers him and he, you know, is transformed into the swamp thing. So one of the interesting things about the swamp, the Dick Durek, if I, I hope I said his name right, uh, who's the actual swamp thing in the costume, interestingly enough, was originally just the stunt man in the costume. And so Ray Wise, the actor who played the actual character, Alec Holland, who becomes Swamp Thing, Wes Craven actually filmed every scene with both of them, but because Dick Durek looked so different, they didn't look anything alike It was <laughs> in costume. They had to just go with Dick Durek. Dick Durek. So they both got dressed up in the costume. Yes, and then uh, uh, they ended up ultimately not using any of the other footage. Dick Durek uh, went on to be Swamp Thing in the 1989 classic sequel with Heather Locklear and Sarah Douglas, and the recent Swamp Thing TV series. He actually played Swamp Thing as well a darker thing. The 1989 sequel was a little campier with Heather Locklear and Louis Jordan plays uh, Arcane again, even though he died <laughs> in the first movie. <laughs> what the hell? So it's, it's one of those movies where um, so Arcane and, oh, and Adrian Barbeau, of course, is in this. And uh, I remember having such a crush on Adrian Barbeau watching this movie. So interesting thing I learned is in the U.S. version, there's kind of a tantalizing scene with her, but in the U.K. version, there's a full-on, full-on blatant nudity scene. They accidentally released the U.K. version in the U.S., so families were going to Blockbuster and coming home with full-on Adrian Barbeau nudity, and then they kind of fixed it at some point. Adrian Barbeau, of course, famous from Maud and uh, other things as well. So, interest. Uh, she was great in this. She was great in uh, in the same exactly the same time period. I think was like Escape from New York and uh, and Creep Show, which uh, early eighties was was good for Adrian Barbeau. It was interesting because I read like Wes Craven didn't work for years after this movie. Uh, I think and Adrian Barbeau when they saw it because of what it, they felt it could have been and what it ended up being. I think there was such disappointment. But then people like Roger Ebert, though, saw the brilliance of the campiness of it, gave it three out of four stars. They called it a cult classic. And I think ultimately that's how it's looked upon as sort of a, a cult classic from the 80s. One of the early comic book come to life movies that I think still is fun and holds up today. I would I would say go watch it. Don't don't put your 2020 brain into the special effects or anything like that because that's one of the things like when the the, the characters at the end the bad characters turn into <laughs> take the serum or whatever and they they transform into the same thing that turned uh alec into the swamp thing they they have not as good results and so <laughs> as bad as the swamp thing is i still always thought the swamp thing rubber monster suit was cool <laughs> there's a certain coolness to it the other ones weren't as good they looked more like uh you went to one of those Halloween stores at Pop-Up. <laughs> yeah. The little Bruno looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I read something funny that said he shrinks, but then his clothes shrink. When right. That so, turtleneck sweater or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Worth <laughs> wearing. Yeah. 
so funny. I don't have much more to say about this other than it, it's I wanted to bring up this what I consider a, a classic from the early 80s that if you are a comic book fan, especially a DC fan, I think this is totally worth checking out. It's it's a fun it's a fun. Adrian Barbeau is great. Louis Jordan is is great as a campy over the top villain. Swamp Thing super cool. You know, and then there's a couple of side characters that are fun as well. So, oh, yeah, what's funny that this was this came out in what eighty two, and I think Alan Moore's run started right around that same time, maybe a little bit afterwards. But Alan Moore's run on the Swamp Thing is one of those like classic taking comics to a whole different level, introducing all of these characters. I think. I don't know if Constantine was uh, introduced there, but for sure he and Swamp Thing were contemporaries inside of that series. And I mean, it just kind of rewrote a lot of what comics could be. And it's funny that it's like right on the tail end of the Swamp Thing movie, which a lot of people were just like, oh, that's trash. But I agree with you. I think that the movie is a lot of fun. I rewatched it a few months ago and... Yeah, it was great. I still love the scene when what's he's gotten his arm chopped off, but he's like reaching for the light and he's got that little tiny hand and it starts to grow when <laughs> it's yeah. the light. Deadpool took that from him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Deadpool does that exact scene. And they Swamp Thing, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, Adrian Barbeau is my guest on Classic Conversations, episode 196. You can hear a full interview with her. Thanks to Mike White from the Projection Booth Podcast and Tony Berardo, the Berardo Project, for helping me out there. All right, up next, Too Funny to Fail, all the way back from live episode 14, Howard Rosner. Take it away, Roz. We got a great one. Too Funny to Fail, the story about the Dana Carvey show. Howie yeah, so, so for those who don't know, and it's a documentary that's been out a couple of years now, I think 2017 maybe. I just rewatched it again and I was reminded of how absolutely hysterical this documentary is. The gist of the story, for those who don't know, is in 1996, after Dana Carvey left Saturday Night Live and he was huge as a movie star, uh, he was approached to do his own show on various various networks. HBO wanted him. And one of the networks that approached them and said, we want you. Absolutely. We want a sketch comedy show was ABC. And they said, we're going to put you in primetime following home improvement. They went about putting this show together. And so the first person he hired was uh, Robert Smigel, uh, who most people know is the voice of uh, Triumph the Comic Dog and various characters, the super fans he wrote on Saturday Night Live, amongst other skits and hysterical. Mm -hmm. So he was the first hire. His first hire- yeah, exactly. His you, first you, hire, you, mean, you mean the duo, the uh, ambiguously gay duo. Ambiguously. Yeah. Well, and and yeah. So his first hire was a kind of little known comic at the time to be head writer, Louis C.K. Their first two cast member hires were a guy from Second City and his understudy, Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. John Glazer, who's a Michigan guy, one of the writers and uh, performers. Some other really good performers and fantastic writers. So they put the show together and they went about creating a show that was insane. The skits were insane. And if you watch them now, it's just so cutting edge funny. The problem is it was on ABC in prime time following Home Improvement and it didn't mix at all. The mm -hmm. other funny thing was Dana had this idea to do the show like 
college football bowl games where every episode would be sponsored and they would rotate sponsors each week. So it was the Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey show. And it, <laughs> long story short, they only recorded eight episodes of the show, seven of which aired. The final episode didn't air. It went so crazy that by the end of it, their final sponsor on the show that didn't air was a Chinese restaurant <laughs> that they used to eat at. But the, just them talking, it's just a great documentary. It's hysterical. Some of the skits that they did, and again, you're watching Colbert and Carell. Like, there's a skit. I mean, a couple of skits. There was there's one called Grandma the Clown, where they got this old lady who wasn't an actor who was dressed as a clown and she was playing a kid's birthday party like lazily honking a horn asking the kids to rub her bunions <laughs> it's so stupid but so out there uh, there's another skit with um, Carell or Colbert I can't remember which one and Dana Carvey that it's uh, main uh like Maine Nazis from Maine, where they're just sitting there doing deep Maine accents, whittling on a porch with pipes going, yeah, 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 so the Jews are bad, yeah. And it's just, it's so out there. The best take of the show, and I won't ruin it, but like about three quarters of the way in, Robert Smigel talks about how he got six episodes into it and hadn't watched, didn't know anything about home improvement. So he sat down to watch Home Improvement. And in his words, after we watched this, we realized what we had foisted on the American public. There is a take, a jump take after an announcer comment that Dana Carvey, Carell, and Colbert laugh so hysterically. Colbert is literally crying for a minute in the documentary. It's one of the funniest takes I've ever seen. So it, it is beginning to end fascinating, hysterical, and super fast, doesn't draw any conclusions other than the show was crazy. So, and they, yeah. so Howard, what was ABC thinking putting this on after Home Improvement? Like, why didn't they put this on late night com competing with a SNL or something like that? I, I think they didn't know what they were getting. They thought they were getting, they thought they were getting Church Lady. They talk mm. about that. They thought they were getting Church Lady. Mm. They thought they were getting <laughs> Dana Carvey impressions. And the first skit in the first show is Bill Clinton breastfeeding <laughs> but not just breastfeeding he had like eight teats uh, yeah and he eight was like, teats. And he's oh breastfeeding kittens and puppies <laughs> the gist of the skit was hillary's away so he's got to be not only the father but the mother to the country i am and absolutely he had watching working this. working oh teats i am absolutely and a, watching and a this. duck's ass for some reason yeah it's it, it's it's not it's good crazy. but it's but the, but the interesting thing is the ambiguously gay duo which most people just think was from saturday Night live actually is from this show yeah, yeah and if you didn't know the ambiguously gay duo the batman character is colbert and a the sidekick is steve carell yeah. which I never knew until this documentary. And then you hear it now and you're like, holy shit, that's them. That's where it came from. And then Smigel went back to Saturday Night Live. There's, uh, you know, Smigel that used to um, be a writer, obviously, before, and used to have, he used to not always get along with Lorne. Talks about how after the fact, he went to Lorne and said, I totally get it now. I totally get what you go through executive producing that show because it's just chaos. The quality of talent was just great. John Glazer, who was one of the writers I mentioned, he, uh, Councilman Jimmy Jam from uh, Parks and Rec, if you watch that. Just a great collection of people that were doing something ridiculous and 
in the totally wrong setting. Like it probably would have been a good show on HBO. You know, it would have been like uh, Mr. Show uh, with Bob Odenkirk. It would have been more like that because it's that level of humor or the Ben Stiller show, which was around for a little while on Fox. But uh, it was totally wrong place. It is a great watch. I highly recommend it. So John Glazer story. John yeah. Glazer, I worked at Tamarack, Brighton. John Glazer worked at Brighton before me, just really? before me. And but he still knew the people that worked there when I was there. So he was doing comedy. I think the very first comedian I ever saw was John Glazer came to this camp and for oh. the staff did a a comedy routine. And one of the things that I'd never forgot, because I actually afterwards actually drew a, a picture of this and put it on the on the thing. It, we had this bit about he's celery man, no powers, just celery. <laughs> what? I don't know. That's all I remember. But like it was just it was just so I thought it was just so funny. It was just so funny. And um, anyway, so that's cool. That's awesome. All right. Yeah, I've seen this too. It's it's totally worth if you haven't seen it. It's totally worth checking and- out. And Jeff, you know the quick take that leads to the crying laughing that I'm talking yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. I had to rewind three times to watch that take. So, yeah. All right. All the way back from live show 14. Just did episode 100 not too long ago. Crazy how time flies. Howard Rosner, too funny to fail. We talk about John Glazer. You can hear a full interview on Classic Conversations with John Glazer. That is episode 68 of the podcast. And finally, we're going to cover the global phenomenon, Squid Game, from episode 44. Ron Lippett's going to take us through that. If you have seen it, you're going to love it. If you haven't seen it, you're going to be convinced. Take it away, Ron. Uh, we're going to talk about Squid Game with Squid Game. We got to jump right into it because uh, there's just so much to go with. There's so many levels. It's exactly right, Jeff. There's so many levels. Very quickly, a an organization that seems dark and mysterious uh, selects down and out people typically in terrible debt or personal circumstances, puts them in a situation where they can earn millions or in their case, billions of won, which is the Korean currency. It's about 38 million American. In in exchange for playing playing a series of games, competing against all these other contestants in a series of games. And it's not giving anything away. I think everyone knows basically that that they become hunger hunger games like games where being, being eliminated from the game means you're being eliminated from life. And, and so when I heard about this show and when it was first reviewed on Crossing the Streams, I, I hadn't seen it. And I kind of assumed it was going to be a foreign knockoff of Hunger Games and how wrong I, I was about this. And, and Jeff, I'm, I'm glad uh, you agreed that there are so many levels to this, literally levels um, to this to this story and to uh, this show. And, and the thing, I, I've now watched it, if you can imagine this, I've watched this three times now. Nine episodes, I've watched it three, three times. times. Uh, I watched it twice just for the pure fun of it. And then I watched it a third time to catch all of the Easter eggs and hidden things that you can find on YouTube um, that help to round out the story. Okay. By the way, that is a, that is a thing now about stories within a stories that can be with all these reviewers on YouTube now that can point out things that you never noticed the first or even second time. It is amazing how intricate yeah, uh, these things are eggs? produced. What was that? I, I, I never understood. I never knew about this. The oh, eggs. man. Oh, Easter Marvel eggs. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. um, so, so listen, I, you know, oh. the, the thing that had bothered me after the first time and then the second time when, when it started creating such a buzz and momentum to it, and, and keep in mind, guys, this is the fastest, uh, most watched show 
in Netflix history. It's wow. the biggest show in Asian history. It is the number one show around the world right now. It's out of Korea. They're already in pre-production for season two. I mean, this show is a monster. Um, you have not heard the last of... Of, of this show. And so I was really stunned by like, what is it about this show that makes people love it so much? Is it, is it the acting? Is it, and the acting by the way is superb. Um, you haven't heard of any of the actors. They're all, they're all Korean actors, except for there's one episode with some completely unnecessary American actors. Um, but the show itself is, is all uh, Korean actors. Uh, the production values are stellar. They spent a ton of money on this. This was all produced by Netflix itself. Netflix pumped a ton of money into this. The sets uh, are unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's the other thing about it that I think is fascinating. Almost no CGI in the show. Does it's, it take place in Korea or is it sort of like a... Yes. It, is- it takes place in Korea. But the, your question is an excellent one that if you watch the show, you'll understand why your question is an excellent one because it turns out that that Squid Game is not exclusively a Korean thing. Okay. So, But the question stands, why is this so compelling? And I think it's because of what Jeff spoke of a moment ago, that this is a very layered story. Certainly the games itself are fascinating to watch and the way they produced each of these games. If you just watch it just for the games, you would come away feeling this was a valuable watch. If you go a level deeper or even a couple levels deeper, you'll recognize that this is a, a parable, a, a society um, study of how the poor are at the call of the rich and the, the value of, of human life and frankly, entertainment. So there's, there's that element to it. There is a, a number of interpersonal stories that I think this, this show takes a tremendous risks with and they all somehow pay off. And then lastly, I'm just going to say the plot twists in this thing are fantastic. Like so fantastic. You would have never seen it coming. And it creates one of these situations where you have to rethink the whole show through a new lens once you learn some of the plot twists with this. And that well, is like an exercise. Oh. Man, may I ask, yeah. is it giving anything away to say, uh, what is? what does it mean? What is Squid Game? Why is it Squid yeah. Game? Yeah, yeah. So Squid Game is, it's two things. It's first off, that is the sixth and final game, is Squid Game, of the six games. But the Squid Game itself is a game in Korean culture where you draw a squid-like figure on on a blacktop, like with a, a circle being the squid's head, then a square, and then a triangle underneath it. It's supposed to represent the shape of a squid. Okay. And, and the basic objective of the game is to push your adversary out of the squid's body. Ah, okay. And it becomes a violent game. I mean, that's the thing they talk about it. That squid game played in the playgrounds of Korea is actually quite a violent game because you're you're basically wrestling with kids to get them out of the squid. Like four square. It's like, yeah, kind of like four square, yeah, I guess. Wow. Okay. Um, but, but it is a very deep story, but it is also super exciting, extremely well-produced, acted incredibly. I don't know where they found these actors from. And then, the twi- and then the twist, man. The twist is just epic. So here's one of the things that's interesting about this show is how you watch it. So we originally watched it with English dubbing. And we got about two in. I happened to read an article at the same time my friend, our friend, Jeff Zonder, was talking about how Erica, sister, said, no, 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 you got to watch it 
in Korean with English subtitles. And oh my God, we started watching episode three, let them speak Korean. And then mm. it was just English subtitles. And we just read it. It made the show a hundred times better. I don't know what or who in Korea thinks Americans talk the way they made the main <laughs> guy talk. Like with that, they made him like this whiny turkey. Yeah. He just wanted to slap. <laughs> and then when you switched it to Korean, it was just English. It was like all of a sudden he was, he was a totally different person. He was not yep. this whiny any person that the the, the the English overdub the over, overdub <laughs> oh you you why are you doing this Howard how hi 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 like all friend and like and then it, and and uh, Korean it was all like you gotta get to this show you know and then all of a sudden he's like, like the that's why I mean like uh, completely I mean it was a completely different viewing experience completely yeah and way better and then then my cousin which I haven't verified this said no there's two versions of the English even subtitles and so I don't I don't know about that but the um that's one of the debates is how to actually consume it and i how yeah. did you watch it? it it's there's no debate about it in my mind you must watch this in korean with the english subtitles yeah, it changes it, it's i didn't even give it a chance the, the dubbing I, I watched like 30 seconds of the first episode with english dubbing it's so bad it's like laughably bad. So right. don't do that. Don't make that mistake. I think we've talked about dubbing as a general rule on this show in the past anyway. Never watch with anything dubbed. And I think the acting is so good that it must be in the original Korean. The significance uh, of the that. cookies. Everybody's talking about the Squid Game cookies. Yeah. So, and this isn't giving anything away. Uh, I don't think it is, Jeff, is it? If I had talked about the second game. So one of the games is they they bake these cookies into these tins, like circular tins, and they give you like a uh, a needle. And the trick is you have to dig the shape. There's a shape that's dug into the cookie. You have to dig the shape out without breaking the cookie. And if you and if you if you dig the shape out, it's like a triangle or a circle, and it comes out as a whole triangle or a whole circle. You pass that game, but it's very difficult. These are crumbly. <laughs> These are crumbly things. And if they break, you're eliminated. If they if they break, you're eliminated. I mean, there's Car- a lot of Carmen's asking a good question. Yeah, so on. Carmen, it's in the in the world the contestants are playing a series of games, but no, it's not like a game show if you were watching Jeopardy. Yeah. Like and Carmen, no one else sees this. This is uh, the only people that see this are the game runners who can view the game, but public at large knows nothing about Squid Game. Mm. So everyone okay. watch Squid Game and then you'll insist, I'm sure we'll have to talk about it. We'll talk about it one more time. We'll just have yeah, to keep gotta it. Check it just, out, Ron. It's, it's so I'm gonna good. check it out. All right, Squid Game. Thank you, Ron Lippett. That was from live episode 44. You can find the full episode on our YouTube channel. Same with episode 14 and episode 75, where Too Funny to Fail and Swamp Thing came from. The full episodes are on our YouTube channel. Subscribe there and get notified when we actually go live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern and comment along with us. We love talking to the fans while we're doing the show. Those segments are ripped right from the live episode. All right, well, Too Funny to Fail, Swamp Thing, Squid Game, you got your hands full. I'm going to let you go so you can start watching. Go jump on the couch, grab the remote, cross your own streams, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.